0: Okay, so uh, you've probably been wondering what this is. Well, this is the Whittam family tumble dryer that I have uh, brought in this morning. Uh, We bought it a few years ago, and I have to tell you, this machine works miracles in our house every day, okay? Uh, We put wet clothes in, dry clothes come out, uh, and it's just fantastic. And if you're lucky with your timing, you can arrive at the dryer, open the door, and then put warm jeans on. That's a nice thing, warm jeans, come on. Now, we recently discovered that our uh, tumble dryer was the subject of a product recall because of a fault. There was a fault inside it. Okay, Uh, And so um, uh, there was a TV program called Watchdog. You might have seen that on the BBC. And they reported that a number of tumble dryers had this fault where fluff could escape from the clothes as they were drying into the heart of the machine and then come into contact with the heater element and set the whole thing on fire. Oh, wow. It was all a bit dramatic, and people had actually reported that uh, fires had started in their tumble dryers. So we like tapped our serial number of our tumble dryer, that, that particular one there, into uh, the uh, company website to find out if ours was affected. We weren't thinking it would be, but then we found out that it was. Oh, no. It was affected. Uh, and so we registered for someone to come along and fix it and sort it out. Now, a few weeks later, an engineer came along, and he kind of whipped the back off, and he put in some new parts, and uh, these parts had got modifications so that the fluff could not escape and touch the heater element any longer. Uh, Now, it did look like a really complicated job. Like, midway through, it was just all in bits all over the floor, and and I was kind of grateful that he knew what he was doing. It was a sort of job where you've got, like, these really fancy tools and screwdrivers and things like that, and he just... He anyway, he knew exactly what to do. He put it all back together again and then he recorded on our database that our oh, sorry, on his database that our dryer had been repaired and it was safe again and so we're back to tumble drying and we're safe again and warm jeans are back on the agenda, which is good. I like warm jeans straight out of the dryer. Now, I open with a tumble dryer story because it is a great picture of A biblical truth that I want to teach today. In fact, it's a picture of one of the biggest messages in the Bible, that there is a design, a problem, and a fix. Now God had a design when he created the world. God's design was perfect and good and he had a completely pure intent about that design. Now we see the story of God's design at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. God had a great purpose in mind And his hopes were, and they still are to this day, all wrapped around that purpose coming good. Now, similarly, there is no way that the people who designed the tumble dryer set out to make something with a deliberate fault in it so that it would catch fire. They just didn't do that. That makes no economic or functional sense at all, does it? They would have had to uh, build, sorry, they would have set out to build something that was fit for purpose. Without a fault in it. Now, the tumble dryer is an illustration that both God and people have a pure design in mind when they start something. Let's look at the problem. Now, although God and tumble dryer manufacturers can both have a good plan in mind, we also know, both from what the Bible teaches and also our own experience, that those plans can go wrong and can go badly wrong. Now, in the tumble dryer example, it turned out that there was a fault in the heart of the machine, somewhere deep in the system, and it meant that damage could occur. It wasn't a one-off. It was a fault that affected all the models made with that particular design. The potential for damage was definite and real, and in some cases, damage really did happen. Now, in the same way, the Bible teaches very early on in Genesis... That God and people have a common enemy, the devil, who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. We know that. The Bible also teaches, uh, clearly, that people's moral and ethical, uh, if you like, decision-making sit in a place of freedom given to us by God. But that's a place of freedom that is open to influence from either God or from our enemy, the devil. And so when Adam and Eve decided to question whether God's guidance was good, after being wrongly influenced by the devil, it led to a really wide-ranging series of consequences that I guess theologians would call the fall. Because it's a fall from intimacy and close connection with God. It's a fall away from the pure design and purpose that God had in mind for human beings when he designed us. Now, the consequences of this fall includes quite a lot of drastic things. They include separation from God, people experiencing death, and the world failing to function properly in lots and lots of ways. Yeah. And the evidence is there. We see this all around us to this day. So before the fall the plan and creation were both very pure and very good. God's good designs and plans became corrupted by by disobedient uh, decisions and wrong decisions from people as influenced by the devil. And things started going wrong from there, and they've really kind of been going wrong ever since. And I just like the fault with the tumble dryer, people are continually tempted deep on the inside in here to behave in ways that cause damage. And I think all of us in the room identify that we fight with that sometimes, don't we? So we've heard about the design, and we've heard about the problem. We need a fix. So when things go wrong, you need a rescue plan, don't you? You need things to be put right again. And with the tumble dryer, the company realized that all the models with this particular design had this fault, and therefore that they needed fixing. So they sent someone. They sent someone out who was able to deal with the problem and put it right. And God does exactly the same thing with us by sending someone out to us. Just as the engineer has the capacity to fix the tumble dryer, Jesus has the capacity to fix us spiritually on the inside as well. He does have that ability, doesn't he, church? He comes to us. He checks us out on the inside. He makes some adjustments. He changes some things. And then we can begin to operate in a way which doesn't damage ourselves and it doesn't damage other people. So, the design and purpose God had in mind before the fall was, is once again, it becomes possible because the fix is to reconnect us back to our original design in God. Are you with me so far? So, God does that by sending that amazing spiritual engineer, Jesus, to fix us on the inside. And theologians would call that redemption. And redemption means getting things back to the way they were by paying a price and making some swaps. Do you follow? Now, not only is the tumble dryer a picture of creation, the fall and redemption, so a design, a problem and a fix, it's also a very helpful illustration of the tension that goes on in our day-to-day work in the jobs that we do. Now, today's message is uh, part of our spoke series. and, And this morning, I'm looking at work. What's our relationship to work? And we're exploring that and the role that work plays in all of our lives. Now, let's face it. Work does play, it features large in our lives, doesn't it? It really does. And now if you assume that you are uh, sleeping eight hours a night, roughly, and you've got an eight-hour working day, and there's only 24 hours in the day, then work is one-third of your waking life while you are of working age. Um, And that's uh, represented up there by by the blue segment. So it's a lot. And we build our lives around the jobs we do, or the careers that we aspire towards, you know, we might even describe what we do for a living as our identity even. So we might say to someone when we first meet them, you know, I'm a teacher or like I'm a nurse. And we describe what we do as our, as our identity. And we, in, in work, we get to develop the gifts and talents that are unique to each of us. And work teaches us some really valuable lessons about a whole lot of stuff. We learn about persistence, about effort, self-discipline, Uh, patience, competitiveness, reward, and so on. And so work helps develop all sorts of things in us. Uh, It helps us to have a purpose. It molds and develops us, and it shapes our character. Work needs our creativity. It needs us to be good stewards. When we go to work, we have to create and build relationships, and it leads us to a sense of, of significance, personal significance. In fact, I'd say that... Work brings us a great amount of worth and dignity. I really think that. And even if the work itself that you're doing is really hard, there is satisfaction even in that, in the fact that you have come home after a hard day's work and you've achieved that. And there's something good about getting through that and doing it and doing well with that. So even when something's hard, there's still a satisfaction at the other end of it. Now, one of the most helpful things about work, of course, is that it allows us to fund all the things we need to pay for. There's that, that's a very basic point to make, uh, such as clothes and food and transport and a roof over our heads and all those kinds of things. Now, that parent whose head hits the pillow at midnight, having worked a very, very long, hard day, might well be tired, yes, but they will also be very proud of themselves deep down that they did what needed to be done for themselves and their families. Any parents in here can identify with that? uh, sometimes you can get to bed so late as a parent, can't you? But, yeah, it's a very, very satisfying thing to know that you're doing the right thing for your families. Work is also hugely important in putting all the great things that we collectively need into the society that we share together. Have you ever thought of that? Loads of the stuff around you is there because other people have done some work. So, you know, how would we all manage without roads or electricity or power? or schools, or shops, or supermarkets, unless, do you know what, some people were doing some work. And that's, that's just some examples, there are hundreds more instances where there are things provided for us because somebody else has gone out and done a hard day's work. Now over time, just a couple more points about work itself. Um, work also helps us become independent of the families that we grew up in. So you grow up and you you start working, you get a better and better job, and you you, you get to the point where you can fund yourself. And then our work itself, as we get older and have families and so on, it goes on to provide security and education and modelling for the next generation to flourish in their turn. And so work is woven into that cycle. So work, what I'm saying is work is a mega big subject. And it's really important that we get our heart attitude to it right. Now the Bible brings us some important teaching about work and this design problem fix model that I've illustrated with the uh, tumble dryer here is a really useful way to grasp what the Bible says about work. Now I went very carefully through Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and I spotted a few things uh, that I believe are part of God's original and good purpose in work, in giving us work to do. And these are all things that I think that we should aim for and expect today as followers of Jesus because Jesus comes to restore all the good plans that Jesus had uh, sorry that God had in the beginning. So God had a plan, it got a bit messed up and he sends Jesus like the engineer to fix that and put that back in place. So if you follow Jesus today, these are some things that I think it's okay to expect in your workplace. And some of these will come up as like little icons up on the screen for you to see. So first of all, the Bible says be fruitful God wants us to be fruitful and effective in what we do. And we actually offer an online course called The Fruitful Life that can teach you at home and at your own speed how you can be more effective as a Christian. And you can sign up for that at bcc.life forward slash life groups. And you get all the information back and you can sign in online. And we've got little videos. And you don't even have to leave your house and you can become more effective. Although I think you might need to become like leaving your house to become more effective eventually. I'll stop there. Anyway, so... The Bible says also increase in number. God wants us to have families and create community. The Bible says fill the earth. God wants us to spread throughout the whole world. The Bible says subdue the earth. And God expects us to take charge of the world. The Bible says rule over every living thing. And God expects us to exercise some leadership, doesn't he? The Bible says work the garden. God wants to place us in a fruitful and favorable place which has boundaries, but where he also expects some level of effort from us as well. The Bible says, take care of the garden. And so God asks us to have a sense of responsibility for what he has given to to us to steward. The Bible says, you are free to eat of any tree, but not this one. So God gives us permission. He gives us freedom and Incidentally, he also gives us nourishment for our bodies as we work, yet he also expects important restrictions to be obeyed. The Bible says, I will make a suitable helper. Now, I know, yes, that this is mainly about marriage, but the, but the nature of work has a context of companions and companionship, and God wants us to work alongside other people. He does. And then lastly, the Bible tells us that God wanted to see what Adam would name all the animals. Um, and I actually think that that's there because God has hardwired the capacity for verbal organization and the giving of instructions into us, and we like to do that. Now, language is it's about a lot more than just work, of course, but it's also a vital part of work as well. So all these things are part of God's good design before the fall, and as followers of Jesus, we're right to aim for those things. And expect those things in our working lives as part of the way that Jesus has redeemed God's plan. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Okay. Now, there's a however. And it's a big however. And I'm sure you don't need me to say to you that even as a follower of Jesus, there is a fault deep in the middle of the machine of work because of the fall. And what that leads to are really hard things. And work is subject to great frustration at times. Now, I'm sure you'll have all heard stories from the news about uh, how different pieces of work haven't gone very well, you know, how governments have spent X amount of money and that project they were hoping for didn't work out and it's hit the headlines. I'm sure you've all come across those kinds of things. Well, I used to work in IT as a project manager and I've been on many projects where things have not quite gone to plan, a bit like these guys with their bridge. That has got to be a painful day, hasn't it? Uh, that that bridge problem. So, like one company I work for, for example, um, we wanted, or we were supposed to supply 100 security cleared personnel. Uh, that's for a defence contractor down in uh, called Kinetic down in Farnborough. We won the bid on our persuasiveness in saying this, but when it came to it, we were only able to supply 12, and that is not good. And so I started recruiting a whole lot of. Uh, IT security cleared people very very fast and that was because one side of the organization didn't really know what the other side was doing and and that was very painful, very difficult. Another project I was connected with uh, at uh, a finance accounting company called KPMG in Watford had a deadline of updating 10,000 copies of its Windows software all around the country. Uh, And that was due at the beginning of June 2004 and I remember that date because Simon, my middle son, was born in June 2004 Now, KPMG had fired two of their main suppliers in the lead-up to this project, and so we come in as the third company uh, in this sequence, midway through May, having to deliver 10,000 rollouts of Windows in like two weeks. That's not going to work, is it? Um, And we actually managed to do the work. It took us till the end of July, um, and we had to work nights. It was a very, very painful project, very, very difficult And so I'm sure all of you in your own ways have had experience or heard of situations in work that have just been a nightmare. So in addition to the good things that God had in mind with work, the Bible also reflects and teaches that the fall has disrupted our work. And so there's a few pictures just to kind of overlay some of those good things, uh, just to share what some of those things are. So work shifts from garden to field. You notice that in Genesis it says you'll have to work the field and so we lose our garden status. Now you remember from Genesis, Adam and Eve got a P45 from their role in the Eden Project, didn't they? The field represents a much larger and more unprotected space and it's lacking in boundaries and potentially there's people who can come in and bring hostility or conflict. Secondly, work gets much, much more difficult. And it starts to involve effort and strain and struggle. God tells Adam that his work will now only be accomplished by the sweat of his brow. And there's, so there's challenges, there's exhaustion, there's difficulty, there are setbacks. Results from work will not always be positive. Some pieces of work that we, you and I might do will be utterly unfruitful. Ever been in something like that? Where you've tried really hard for ages and it just hasn't worked? Well, that can sometimes happen on a personal level and at a corporate level. uh, And we can get ourselves very disappointed with those sorts of things. Sometimes the work that we do will have unintended consequences. We're pressing for this thing, and these things over here pop up instead. Uh, So, you know, the Bible describes that as, you know, we'll try and plant crops, but weeds and thistles will come up as well. We will have to work the ground, and it will be hard work, rather than just picking fruit, as it was before the fall. So given all of that, what relationship are we to have with work, given that it's a mixture of, of things, both good and, and difficult? Here's what I think. Our relationship to work has to be a healthy tension between those two things. So what I would say is expect and hope and pray and aim for all those good things that God had in mind when he designed work for us. But at the same time, remain aware that work is tough and results don't always occur like we hope that they would. Now, we have to work around that. We have to take that into account. We have to be very persistent. And we have to navigate those difficulties that come with the fall. And so perhaps a balanced view of work from the Bible is a bit more like the picture you're about to see, which is that we keep all the good things to the fore and in focus and at the front of our minds. And we hope for those. But we don't forget the difficulties and and the, the hard stuff. And we navigate around those with wisdom and perseverance. But they're all there in the world of work for us. Now, I want to get into some specific and practical advice for you guys to help you in the world of work. And I'd sum up all the practical advice about work that I want to share with you today uh, as follows. Work like a boss and you'll become one. Okay? Work like a boss and you'll become one. So I want to look at three things to help you with this. Uh, They'll just be really helpful to all of us in our day-to-day work. If you are an employee and you get these three things sorted and nailed you will become an exceptional employee and you will rarely, if ever, be out of a job. Equally, if you are a leader with responsibility for placing people into teams and you make sure that these things are in place in the people that you hire, then your workplaces will be stable and high performance and fun places to be. They will. Now, I would love to say that I thought of these three things myself but I didn't. Uh, the three things come from a book called Courageous Leadership by Bill Hybels. Now, I've road tested these things, uh, and I found that they work very well, and they're very helpful, and I actually work pretty hard on myself to ensure that they are as present as possible in the work that I do. Uh, I I'm, I'm hope that I'm conscientious in that, and that I keep working on those things. And as a leader, I would also look for those things to be strongly present in any of the people that I'm responsible for putting into teams or into organizations. So if it becomes apparent that one or all of those things aren't there, that becomes a bit of an issue. In fact, it can become so much of an issue that people's uh, roles can get called into question and they may not continue those things. I'd also add, just at this point, it's not about the money. Obviously, you get paid a salary for the job you do, but I would say these three things are applicable just as much if you are a volunteer or a co-worker, let's say at BCC or in any voluntary organization, or perhaps if you're retired and you're doing that on a voluntary basis, these three things would apply equally to those people as they do to people who are paid. So, what are they? Let's go through them. There's three things, and they all begin with the letter C. The first one is character. It's character. Character. If you wanna work like a boss, you need to have your character sorted out and it's of vital importance that you are of good character. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you are honest, if you are on time, if you do your very best to offer no surprises to your boss, if you take any issues you have privately and directly and fairly to the person that you have them with, if you continually seek to bring integrity, resilience, hard work, high standards, loyalty, compassion, and can-do problem-solving attitude, if you are cheerful, if you bring great energy, if you always strictly avoid being huffy or put out, if you demonstrate the fruit of the spirit in all that you are and all that you do, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control every day, then you will be considered a diamond in your workplace. I'm telling you straight, work hard on your character. You will be someone that people constantly want to have on their team, and you will rarely, if ever, be out of a job. So work hard on your character, and it will help your standing in the workplace no end. So for biblical examples of uh, great character in the workplace, think of people like Joseph, appointed to be second in command in all of Egypt. Or Daniel. Daniel was a person that they couldn't find any fault in at all. Stephen, uh, in in the book of Acts, he got recruited to join that close circle of disciples because he had a great character. Work on your character. Number two, competence. The second C, competence. To work like a boss, you need not just to have good character, but you need to have high competence. What do I mean by that? I mean that it's incredibly helpful if you become really, really, really good at what you do. Now, I once worked with a guy at BP uh, who was pretty much the world's expert, literally, at networking and communications. He was astonishingly good at his job, and he had a queue of people wanting him to work for them. He could ask crazy rates for his contracting jobs because he knew how to do stuff that virtually no one else on the planet knew how to do. So why not, I'm going to ask you this question this morning, why not be outstandingly competent in your workplace? Why not? One thing I've uh, really found helps me a lot in this respect um, as I try and aspire to be better and better myself is to suss out who is the best at something that I want to do And then go and find find them and copy what they do. If they're really, really good at one particular thing, copy that. Watch how they do what they do and see if there are some things that you can learn from that. You know, most people love being asked about what they do and they like to give tips away on how how you can be better yourself. The world needs really competent people who love the Lord in virtually all walks of life. And actually all places of work love people who are highly competent at what they do. It's true, isn't it? So, for biblical example of really great competence, think of uh, someone perhaps a bit like that craftsman Bezalel. Do you remember him from the Old Testament? He was kind of commissioned to do all that work for the temple, uh, the tent of meeting, or perhaps Solomon. Uh, although we'll come back to Solomon in just a bit. Third letter C, number three. You still with me? Yeah. Third letter is uh, sorry. Uh, third le- letter C is chemistry. Now, great chemistry is quite hard to quantify, but it's a quality that seems to mean that different members of the team just implicitly understand what they each need, and they supply it really well. Now, it does take a bit of time to develop, but when it's there, it really helps to make a workplace absolutely fly. Now, I think you can see uh, great chemistry coming across strongly in good sports teams. Have we got any Brazilians in the house today? Any Brazilians? Only two. there's a there's a few more than two, surely. Yeah. Okay. So a peak example, if you think uh, of good chemistry, is if you think of the Brazilians and how they play football. Yeah. Uh, they just seem to kind of flow together as this kind of goal-scoring machine, and it's insane. And you kind of why can't England ever do that? So disappointing. The Brazilian football team get each other in fantastic ways. For a great example of biblical chemistry in the Bible, think of Jonathan's armor bearer, who says to Jonathan just before they go and lay into a bunch of Philistines, do all that you have in mind, go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. That's a great example of chemistry from the Bible. Now here's something you can do to start good chemistry in the workplace and put it on a great footing from day one. Pay attention to personal habits and hygiene, people. Nothing kills chemistry dead more quickly before you've even started than poor personal hygiene or cleanliness, at least where hoping to get a job is concerned. So, make sure your hair is neat. Brush your teeth properly, please. Use deodorant, polish your shoes, cut your nails. Now, I know you're all chuckling because these sound obvious, but I think they're very important. If you don't deal with those basic chemistry essentials, pe- people will keep on finding excuses after your job interview not to ring you with that job appointment. And a surprise I've included it because a surprisingly large number of people pay little attention to those things and then they wonder why they're perpetually out of work. Here's another thing you can do to continue well with good chemistry once you're in a job. Now this is going to take some humility and courage on your part. But why don't you ask your boss if there is anything that you could be doing better towards the team you work with or the team you you, uh, you work alongside? Your your boss might surprise you by saying, why do you always sit on your own at lunchtime? Come and join in a bit more. Straight away, you've got some great feedback you can work on. Don't be aloof or standoffish. Or your boss might surprise you by saying, you know, actually, people on the team do feel like you kind of invade their personal space a bit. Try standing three feet away, not one foot away. Or whatever thing that your boss gives you feedback about, be humble enough to work on that and fix it. Get smart about reading group dynamics and body language and and, and sensing atmosphere. Good chemistry is learning to read cues from people and acting on them appropriately. And the Brazilians know all about cues and signals to each other as a football team, and that is why they are so very good at football. I'm just going to ask the worship team if they would like to just come back up and join me now as i kind of close you might be pondering which is the most important of those three things character competence and chemistry which, which is the most important and it's a valid question to ask well here's the surprise that you might think it's not competence it's always character first yeah Always character first. Now competence might feel, competence is like just being really good at your job. You might feel or the world might tell us that that should be first and we sometimes see instances of that, uh, examples of that where that's first, but in reality it's not first because no matter how great you are and how good your competence is, poor character can always come along and undermine that. Now, the world is sometimes won over by high competency at the expense of character. And then usually, those organizations pay for that later on, don't they? And we've seen a bit of that in the news recently. A good example of somebody who was really competent, but then messed up through character, uh, comes from that, uh, anyone here seen that original Jurassic Park film, the very, very first one, uh, way back when? Uh, There's a kind of computer geek in that film, isn't there? And he sits at his terminal. He's just like really, really good at computing and really fast. And presumably he's in that role. And they put him there because of his brilliance with systems and so on. But actually what happens is his secretive territorial nature gets, as a character, gets all of the characters in that story into real trouble as, as part of the way the drama unfolds with that. So a biblical example of what I'm talking about where character and competency need to be the right way around, I mentioned Solomon earlier. He was someone who showed immense competence by asking for wisdom from God. And hey, that is a great ask. If you ever want to get wisdom from God, just pray and he'll download it to you. It says that in the book of James, doesn't it? But ultimately, the lack of integrity in Solomon's character around women later on in his life let him down. And so the competence doesn't count for much anymore, does it? So work on character first. Always work on character first. Competency and ability and your capacity to do the job can often be learned as you go along. Now, chemistry is a great thing to have, but if you are fantastic at the other two, in other words, if you've got a great character and you're really, really good at your job, most people will forgive poor chemistry. They'll, they'll say, well, they're very good at their job and they're good characters, so we'll just let them get on with it. The chemistry won't be so good, but that's okay. On the other hand, if you've only got chemistry and the character's all over the place and you can't do your job, well, you're not going to get a job. So chemistry is like number three, okay? So work on all three to be the dream employee. That's what you need to do. All three need their fair share. Work on all three to be the dream employee. Search out all three in any people that you recruit or place into teams. I've learned this the hard way. I've put people into teams that haven't had the character to sustain what it is I've asked of them. And then I've reaped the disaster of that later down the line. I'm going to ask us to stand uh, together and we're going to sing in a minute and I'm going to suggest five different ways that you could respond by coming and getting some prayer uh, just as we kind of draw to a close. You might be looking at my uh, message today and thinking, well, that's all really great, Pastor Nick, but I just need a job. (laughs) You spent like half an hour telling me stuff about work, but I'm just out of work. Well, you know what? If you need a job, hey, why don't you come forward and get some prayer? We would love to pray with you to find that right job for you and to help you on the road to being employed. There is great dignity in work. And obviously, there's a pay packet as well. Maybe you have a problem in your workplace at the moment. And you need a bit of help with that problem. You need that sorting out. You need God to move on your behalf. Maybe there's been some changes or there's a budget cut or you have to move or they're they're changing your terms and conditions or you're not sure about the future. Something's not quite right with your workplace right now. We would love to pray with you about that. And maybe it's an issue around those three Cs, character, competence, and chemistry. Maybe for you, you've realized that actually you just need to make sure you're on time to work in the morning, and and you've got to fix that now. Um, I worked once in an office with a guy called Rob, who was always late. One day, the, the manager came out of his office and said, Rob, I need your car. key. He had a company car. I need you to leave your car keys on your desk, and I'm sending you home on the train. And this is your last day. We are like, "Wow, it really happened." He lost his job simply because he couldn't come on time, and that's an issue of character. So maybe there's something you feel in yourself. Yeah, I just need some prayer for this. Maybe you're a person who's something stirred in you when you heard me saying you just want to. i I'd encouraging you to try and be really good in your job. Maybe there's something in you that says, you know what, I do want to be really, really good. I want to be the best there is. I want to be fantastically competent at what I do, and I want people to look up to me. I want to train other people, but I want to be excellent and outstanding in my job. And maybe that's something that you aspire to, and you need some prayer and some help from God for that. And then the last thing would be, hey, I just need to work on my chemistry. I I know that I don't do chemistry well. I don't understand it. God, would you show me how to have... Good chemistry in my workplace. So, just as we're singing, please just make your way down to the front, and our prayer team would be delighted to pray with you about any of those things to do with work, or actually anything. Isn't that right, Pastor Mark? We'd be we'd love to pray with you. Uh, So, we'll sing and we'll pray. Thanks, Jason. Amen. Thank you.